Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Poolside Pass. Today I'm joined by Ian Armiger, legendary coach uh, from, from Loughborough and in, in Great Britain. He's coached, coached Olympians, coached world record holders and, and, and many a great swimmer. Um, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. And I'm just going to start by asking Ian to give us a, a brief background uh, of his career to date. So, um, Ian, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Chris, good to be here and it's good to welcome you guys to the Pool of Dreams. <laughs> and uh, the sun always shines in it. It's a little <laughs> bit cold in this room right now. Um, yeah, well, thanks for the introduction, uh, Jamie. When I was a, I'll go back to the kind of very briefly, but when I, when I was a kid, I swam on the on the teams, I actually went to the first national age group championships that there ever was <laughs> in 1966 in Blackpool and uh, medaled there and I swam and when I was a senior I was probably on the periphery of the British team, I was usually about number four, five, six in the 100 free, sometimes I was in the men's relay, sometimes not and when I graduated in 72, 73 and I started teaching I almost went from being a swimmer in the pool to a coach on the deck and that was in a normal type age group club and then I, but I had this vision of that I wanted to be an ambition to be a full-time swim coach. That was that was really what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I needed to serve my dues or my time, if you want to say, apprenticeships by moving to different clubs and getting in a position where I could become a full-time coach. And I went full-time in 1982 and uh, went to my first Olympics in 1984 as a coach and uh, coach in the Caribbean at the time. And then I was heading up a big city program in uh, Bradford, City of Bradford Swimming, and we produced some really good age kids and did pretty well at the uh, senior level as well, particularly on the women's side. And uh, then I came to Loughborough in 97 to kind of start the program up. Mike Perabrun has done a great job before that, but he, he wasn't a full-time coach. I was the, actually the first full-time coach of any sport appointed by Loughborough University. Loughborough University, the tradition of sport is goes back years and years before my time, like in track and field and lots yeah. of different sports. But those guys were lecturers who coached. I was the only first person to be a full-time coach. And uh, as I say, we built the program from pretty much small beginnings to, with a vision to be a powerhouse of British swimming, if not world swimming, like a hub of swimming really. And by expanding the number of coaches and everything else, and as you rightly say, from this program, with a variety of coaches within our staff, and I was the director of the program, but lots of different coaches responsible for different athletes. We've had, you know, many Olympians, about forty odd Olympians, world record holders here, um, medalists at pretty much every level um, over the years. Not to say we can't be better, but we can always <laughs> be better, right? Yeah. So, I know recently you've been involved with the ISL. Before we start onto onto our main topic for today, which is going to be a continual success with with post eighteen swimmers, I just want to just want to touch on the ISL that you're involved with with uh, with Energy Standard. What were your thoughts on it, having been kind of on the inside, been involved with it in, in first hand? How was it as a as an experience for for the people involved? Yeah, well. I I mean, the link with the ISL came about with, certainly with Energy Standard, which is interesting because not only did we develop a lot of swimmers out, out from Loughborough Swimming, but also a lot of coaches and people like you and Dale at Millfield swam here and is now director, at, as I said, at Millfield. Uh, Emma Collins, director at Mount Kelly, she yeah. swam here. So you've got lots of different people. And interestingly, on the ISL, on the Energy Standard side, there was myself, 
James Gibson, who's the head coach, he swam here. Ben Titley, who coached with me here, he's <laughs> part of it all, although he's officially attached with Swimming Canada, of course. And uh, Mel Marshall was the head coach of London Raw, so you had all these different, this Loughborough connection of people. Loughborough tour. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, but it's a very new concept, and it's, it's something that, you know, it's going to evolve as the time goes by, and uh, the uh, the boss of the whole thing, um, it, it will develop as time goes by. Any teething problems, they'll put they'll, they'll put right from one meet to the next, yeah. and uh, it's trying to get our head around this idea that it, it's a, a kind of a spectacle. Um, it's exciting. It's very fast running. It's quick, like two hours to appeal to. You know, Generation Z and, and all that kind of thing. So it's looking at the commercial aspects of swimming, um, making it fast, furious, exciting, uh, vibrant atmosphere for the spectators, and trying to appeal to not necessarily swimming purists. So times don't really matter. Um, the actual captive crowd that you often have at a swim meet, they're almost the support players to bring the atmosphere. That the interest is the wider audience to yeah. try and bring it. To, to the to the wider audience, the attention of the of the greater masses. So for for us swimming people, it's a little bit difficult to get your head around this idea that yeah. it's not about how fast somebody's gone. It's where they place in a race, how many points they score. It's about strategies yeah. in terms of team selections, as you've seen. Energy Standard pretty much won nearly every meet on the last races, which was pretty nail biting. <laughs> not good for my health, but it, what it came down to the skins or really is that that. And that was James Gibson's excellent strategy for, for, uh, you know, for participating in the meet and getting the best out of the team. But the team atmosphere, the swimmers rallied around the whole thing. It was a very exciting competition to be in. Next year, it will expand even more. So this year, I think each team had about five competitions. Next year, each team will race 10 times. Um, wow. And it will stretch from September through to maybe May. So then that's going to be the next thing. And then I'm, I'm sure they're going to look at how you recruit swimmers for the team, how, you know, all yeah. this kind of business. And again, in terms of the professionalism, swimmers have, you, you, you're Olympic medalists, Olympic champions have always been successful in terms of getting income, in terms of sponsorship, um, some appearance money, prize money, that kind of thing. Whereas if you look at it from these competitions, hey, not everybody's earning the top dollar, but there's about, I don't know, was it 180 or 200 swimmers that actually gained some yeah. form of prize money. Plus, of course, they get appearance money for representing their teams, which is not shown either because nobody knows what that is. But so, so there's a lot of swimmers made um, decent money out of, the, out of the thing. For coaches, it brings in another dynamic, actually, because um, Coach Di Bassett was with us for quite some time here, was an academic at the university and did her research on the dynamics of the coach parent swimmer triangle you know as you yeah. well know being an age group swimming it's a, it's a it's an interesting one whereas now you could probably look at it in terms of a rectangle so you've got coach swimmer parent agent so quite a lot of swimmers now have agents and the coach has to deal with that as well yeah. now if you have an agent that's very understanding of the sport you're fine if you don't then you could could run into some conflicts right there because obviously the agents looking after the commercial interests of the athlete Whereas the coach is about the performance of the athlete. Now you might yeah. say, well, the two, one the same thing, they but it doesn't always, always it doesn't always go hand in hand. 
So you could get some conflict there. So coaches and federations, I think, have to start looking at and bearing those things in mind and getting us. But to all of us, it's very new, this concept. Yeah, of course. Because it hasn't been there in the past. So I've been speaking to a couple of coaches that, that I know about kind of ISL and we love it. What we, what we are not confused about, what we have questions over is, especially in an Olympic season such as this, how are coaches managing the balance between racing in the ISL and getting work done early in the season and, and it, to enable uh, a key performance come Tokyo? How 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 is that managed over over the course of the, the ISL season? I, I would draw the analogy with when when I was a young coach and things like the the World Cups were on the go. And I used to ask myself this question, how come these guys are on this World Cup circuit and how come they're doing these training cycles and how come they're doing all this work? But the reality is they're probably not, or they weren't. They were were on tour and then they were doing maintenance work and the racing was part of the training. So they incorporated that, something like great Alex Popoff in the day, things like that. So there would be maybe a block of work and then they would have a racing season. And so it was almost looking at a different way of okay. training and racing and, and combining the two. Now, going back to your, your question, and I, I'm not sure exactly what the vision is of the ISL, but it, it could be that because next year the season will last from September through to May. So obviously post-Olympics, so you'll get that. Yeah. But then if that the next season, if it expands even more, then you're then going to run into that there's a lot of competitions will that then start taking precedent over things like worlds and olympics a bit like tennis and golf and everything else whereas people like to go to the olympics and like to go to the worlds and compete the atp tour is king yeah but is it yeah which is which is again i'm not saying that's the route they're going down but it, it you know it's an interesting thing to bear in mind that will they become a professional circuit in swimming yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm not speaking as an no, expert yeah, in this yeah. one, and it's not my area that I'm involved with. But it's just looking from the outside as a coach, and it's a lot of questions that we need to be examining as the as the ISL uh, evolves. Really interesting, interesting. So we're gonna gonna move now onto onto the main topic, which is uh, something that um, I think you probably would regard yourself as. As a bit of an expert in his, his continual success with, with post-18 swimmers, having, um, having had continual success with post-18 swimmers for, for the majority of your career, you've had a really, you had a really long and fruitful career at, at Loughborough here. What was, what was the best coaching moment from that, from that career for you? I think uh, each, you know, each coach regardless of which age groups you're dealing with. Yeah. Each age group has its challenges. Yeah. And I guess my area of expertise or my way I'm comfortable now, obviously, is dealing with 18 plus. That's kind of my area. And the the previous vice chancellor here, or former vice chancellor, when I was the, the director here, Professor Sir David Wallace, he used to say to me, Ian, you're a round peg in a round hole. It's like <laughs> the fit with senior swimmers, student swimmers, was a perfect fit really and uh, because I because you get to understand their requirements of the senior swimmer their different um, demands on their life so uh, you know age group kids a lot of the time you the parents are still very very much 
involved, looking yeah. after them and, and so on. And rightly so. I'm not saying they're not here, but obviously these guys live away from home. They have other pressures that you need to balance. So you need to have a holistic approach looking after um, senior swimmers. So it's not all about just going up and down the pool. Uh, it's about their lifestyle outside the pool. It's caring about them as individuals. So you're coaching the person not you know you, you maybe training the event but coaching the person and then being a very much aware of individual differences within the that person what what motivates them what's the right kind of training loads or what's required so it's not one size fits all really and that that was a f philosophy that I sort of established pretty early on that and I learned a lot from that that yeah they get to the podium in many, many different ways and be innovative because, hey, these guys come in here, some were fast when they walked through the doors and they were and they stayed being fast. Others, you would have heard nothing about them until they were 18 plus because they got in this environment, which was very professional, very focused, very enjoyable, vibrant, senior environment with like-minded people, yeah. with the right kind of training and the right kind of coaching that they just flourished in this environment. And the support from the university is huge in terms of supporting them in, you know, my things for the program was we want people to come here, get a good degree, swim as fast as possible and enjoy being here. And that's what, yeah. that, that's all that it's about. Because at the end of it, we want them to walk out the doors and go, yeah, it was great there. Or the coaches just have to go, yeah, we did good by them. We got everything we possibly could. We took them to places that they didn't think possible. Hey, it might be the Olympics, it might be, international honours it might be making the national final it might be on the podium it might be so everybody has their own olympics within the program and it's our job to help them you know achieve that and maybe even go even further than they think possible yeah. and uh with senior swimmers you you could make massive improvements 18 plus massive improvements and uh Again, they wouldn't have to be, and I've got tons of stories of people there that uh, you know that have done that, yeah. have just shot through that you would never have heard of them at 13, 14, 15. It's, all of a sudden they they got fired up. It happened. They're on the Olympic banners around the pool. They went on to do great things, and uh, and I think it's just an understanding of working with that because I would I would say now that that's that's my preferred area. Yeah. 18 plus. I did it swim clinic at the weekend with helping Joe Robuck and Amy Smith and there were little kids on there and I'm thinking oh my word how am I going to manage with to be fair the kids were fantastic but I was probably more like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know whoa. I'm not just not used to them because they're so small yeah. did they make speedos oh it was just that small but um, it, it was great working with them but I'm just not used to that now no, you know yeah, I'm used course. to things like you say something and it generally happens yeah. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> what? but with them it does, it's not like that you know so I'm just not used to that really yeah. but I say my my forte now and my passion is probably senior swimming and dealing with all the issues that are attached to that and you know I often say um, because we care about them as people and we want to help in many many ways in their life and everything else that they can talk to us anytime night or day about anything in their life and we'll yeah. try and help and sometimes I wish I'd never said that because <laughs> you name it I've dealt with it so stuff you couldn't make up your wildest dreams and don't ask why <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many how many bucks titles did you go on to win here at, at Loughborough have you got that in your head I haven't got that in the head but it I mean 
well, it, 25, 30 team titles, let's say, over the last, you know, let's say 25, 30 years, short course, long course, everything else. Because the structure's in place, obviously, um, as I said, the support from the university and the academics is huge here across all the sports. And because we own the facilities, pretty much what the coaching staff yeah. want, the coaching staff get. And everybody else fits around us, which is totally the opposite from a normal club. Of course, there's no yeah. training fees. There's no, I was going to say there's no budgets. Of course, there's budgets. But, <laughs> but, but we don't have to manage we don't have to raise income because we don't have to pay staff. That's all covered. We don't have to rent the pool. It's our pool. We can have it whenever, you know. So, the, so there's it, it. It makes it a little bit easier when, of course, comes pressure because there's expectation. So there's expectation to win. There's expectation to um, produce groups and, you know, and develop your, your student athletes to be, you know, world class or whatever it's going to be or world, or their own world class, uh, but. But there is there's a support mechanism there for the coaching staff to do that. So, so how did you, as, as director of the program, manage to bring success to this this university program year on year? Was it you know, how did you develop your recruitment process for swimmers? How did you develop the culture year on year? And did you, as a coach, have to change as you went through went through the years and as as, as the people you were coaching changed? Yeah, well, I mean, when I very first came, I, I looked at the program and and had a vision, a lot, you know, the short and the long term vision of of where we wanted to be with the, with the team, and um, it it was relentless to pursue that vision that we had for the team yeah. so, so day in day out you'd never take your foot off the gas so I remember sitting with Ben sometimes Ben Titley at the national championships I said Ben you know that kid should have been in the final that kid should have been on the podium that kid because it's not we're not about one swimmer winning loads of medals and breaking records and everybody else is, <laughs> swims like that yeah. that's not a team for us we want as many people in the final we want as many teams in, in the semi-finals to create a show, create a spectacle, so everybody feels confident and they just ride the wave of fast swimming throughout the meet. So it's that culture and belief, um, enjoying the success, but also being very analytical and you know realistic of that we should be better than that, we should be better than that. On the flip side to that is sometimes we go, oh my word, how can we improve on that? It was fantastic, yeah. what a fantastic meet. And then the next year we would do even better. But we had, by being innovative, not standing still, bringing in new ideas all the time. And I mean, now for coaches, you know, for you guys now, you'll think, well, what's he talking about? It was not like that. But when we first started up, nobody was doing land conditioning, Olympic lifting in the gym. Nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing heart rate sets of, you know, um, speed endurance with, with longer rests. Nobody was doing that. We brought all of that kind of thing in. So we, we, our, start, our, start, our coaching models was very much about specificity of training, um, particularly for the senior athlete. And if, if, if you looked at, say, we were very successful in the early days with particularly women's, sprint free, women's sprinting um, because they were in the gym doing Olympic lifting and people used to remark on the the look that the female athletes had your athletes look really fit and really strong and powerful um 
and then you look ask yourself this question that oh well you know the the tw they're 20 years old they, they really now specialize on the 50 or the 100 the 50 the 100 free they've got enough aerobic endurance to swim around the world yeah, yeah. what they need to be is fast and powerful and strong and so you would put the program in place to do that and people used to would criticize oh there's none of they they're exactly the same and I would say something like James Gibson when he swam was a typical late developer came from nothing at 18 to being you know the world champion Commonwealth champion Olympian and everything else but uh, for him he would spend a lot of time trying to swim that fast not a lot of meters trying to swim that fast but a lot of time trying to be that fast addressing the technical aspects of his of his uh, event with coach Ben Titley, Ben, coach James at that time. Very specific in the work that we try to do. What is it that, how is that person gonna swim that fast for that person? And sometimes 12 100s off 130 ain't gonna fix that. It's like, how fast are you gonna be at 15 meters? How fast are you gonna be at 25? What are your stroke rates? The whole thing, being very analytical about what's going on. So I'm um, having a model and a style. And again, with within the program, for sure, some people need to crank out the meters and everything else. And probably that's not my thing like right now that I gravitate towards or I became involved with. But I needed coaches within the program that could do that and press the buttons of those kids that needed that kind of work. Um, and again, when I first came, we, we used to share an office with the with the other coaches of the different sports. And there's some fantastic coaches here, and, st and still is obviously, for, in track and field and researchers and everything else. And uh, again, if you think about a very, a very basic question, which now you think, well, and I'm thinking, at that time, I'm thinking, how do I, there's no females going sub 60 for 100 fly in whenever it was. 1997 or something and uh, thinking well I can coach plenty of people that can swim sub 60 for 100 fly but they happen to be male yeah. so what's the difference they, they come to the pool they do the similar sets they do the thing well of course the guys are str more str they're stronger and they're more powerful well if I can masculinize the women and I can increase strength and power and speed yeah. then I hopefully can get them to swim six. So then I went to the strength and conditioning guy and I showed him the Olympic final of the women's 100 fly. And I said, look at these body types right here. And again, I'm not saying all by any means, right? There's variations, but generally they look a certain way. I said, I need these females to be like this. So then that's where we put a very advanced land conditioning program in place to, 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 to address that issue. And consequently, we had about three girls that go sub 60, 100 fly. Nobody else was going into 60 at that time I know now plenty to do it but you're talking yeah, yeah. 20 years ago man you know it's like sport evolves isn't it yep so did as a coach over, over the number of years you were here is kind of as time goes by you end up coaching different generations and, and the generation of people you coached when you first arrived at Loughborough were different to the generation of people you coached in, in, in your last few years at Loughborough did you have to change the way you were with the athletes, your coaching style through those generations, or, or did, did you stay constant throughout? And I think you're right, and it, obviously now you're coaching generations, Ed, which has different demands, 
and, and so on to, to uh, you know, Generation X and so on. And I, I think it's kind of having relationships with people. So again, recognizing them as people and uh, everything else. Now, I often say, if, you're, if your parameters for, for code, if your model and your style is too narrow, then you lose um, contact or to be able to relate to people who's, who, who a lot of people because they're yeah. outside of that. And if you look at very world-class people in any performance environment, be it business, the arts, or you know, the music, whatever it's going to be, or sport, they tend to be a little bit different because there's nobody like them because they're the best. So therefore, you need to have a wider parameters to be able to incorporate these different different types of people. Um, and I'd, I'd say now, my style and my model is it, it, quite wide, but there's still people that sit outside that, that I'm thinking, mm, I'm probably not the right person for them, you know? Yeah. But I would know a person who was, and hopefully they'd be part of the coaching staff in this program. And so therefore, and as they evolve as well, it might be, oh, we've, we've worked together for six years now. I think maybe you'd be better being coached by Jamie or that person. Oh, okay. What, do you want to give it a try? So then the, for me, it didn't matter because they still swim for Loughborough University. They're still part of our program. They're still everything else. We haven't fallen out. It's just what you feel is best for them at the time. Yeah. And uh, so that's, uh, it's interesting that you... you you draw that that kind of image of you, you you've got a a spectrum of, of swimmers and every swimmer lies somewhere along this along this spectrum and you've got to find the right coach for a specific swimmer on that spectrum and as coaches we all sit somewhere along that spectrum as well and and, and everyone's different and everyone requires something not not every swimmer can be coached exactly the same the same way and i think i like that I like that idea you've, you've drawn there. I mean, you've got, you've got a situation like now, let's say for swimmers that people might know now, say women's breaststroke. So Molly Renshaw swims with Coach Dave Hemmings yep. in the National Centre. Sarah Fazy swims with Mel Marshall in the National Centre. Justin Ulliott swims with Coach Ian Hume. And Imogen Clark has been swimming with Coach Andy Manley. Never trained together, ever. Never. Totally different. And going back, you know, a few years, Fran Halsall, sprint freestyle, British number one, swam with coach Ben Titley, then with James Gibson, Amy Smith, British number two, both Olympians, same events, 50 and 100 free, swam with me, never trained together, ever. Totally different in their preparations, their type of work, their personalities, so the, the coach-athlete relationship is key. And again, people that you might remember, like Joe Roebuck, 200 fly, two medley, four medley. Roberto Pavoni, exactly the same events. Roberto swam with coach Kevin Renshaw. Joe swam with me, never trained together, yeah. ever. Because they're totally different. Phelps Lochte, did they ever train together? No, not even on US camps. No, yeah. They just they were separate, but they're equally as good. Yeah, Phelps a bit better, but you know. <laughs> Draws the... Uh... It's like the uh, the saying: "There's there's multiple ways to, to skin a cat, yeah, yeah. but at the end of it, you still get a cat that's skinned." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what was what was different then? Because you, you coached youth and age group swimmers when you was at 
when you was at Bradford and then you coached senior swimmers when you was when you was here at Loughborough. What was different about coaching those those two groups? What what differed in the work? What differed in the relationships and, and how you coached them? You've already touched on that with the triangle versus the rectangle mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, what, what's different? What what are the big key differences between between the two groups? Sir? I think as a coach, I, I, de- I obviously developed as well over the years because people might say, well, you didn't say that five years ago. And I'm saying, well, I hope I'm better <laughs> now than I was five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at Bradford and we developed a lot of good good swimmers and, and everything else, age group kids who, you know, obviously performed well at the senior level, particularly on the female side. Um, yeah, Janine Belton was the youngest member of the Olympic team at Atlanta. She was only 15. And then she came out of a tiny little pool up there and, and everything else so we had a quite a good women's team at that point and and I think there is a difference between coaching age group kids to coaching senior athletes um, and I think it's it's more that thing of understanding not to say you don't age group kids as individuals and people and per, you know all that kind of business but I think as the Athletes get more mature and more experienced. You're looking at ways to improve each component of the event, and of course, we have the we had the facilities. We have the facility to do it, the capacity and the space and everything else. Whereas in a club, it's very difficult because you, you know you've got one, you've got a balcony full of parents that are trying looking over what you're doing all the time. Here we don't have that, and uh, secondly, you, you're often constrained by time space in the pool you've got to have bums on seats to pay for the pool and pay for the so i understand all of that as well that's why this is a very special environment we're very lucky to be in it to be able to coach in this kind of environment um rather than rather than the general club um i think the common thread is the coach athlete relationship i still think that at the age group level obviously um someone like jitney belton as i mentioned before has been working for adrian mousley and forfoot in the past and, and wrote an article in 2012 which was about our I know that's a cliche but like our journey or our relationship over time and she'll say that when she obviously when she was 12 we had very we had a very close relationship but when she was 12 it was very different from when she was 22 yeah. uh, but it evolved over time uh, which was setting the right kind of training load and the right kind of style of coaching and relationship with the athlete to suit her developmental stages as she progressed through her swimming career and life uh, experiences and everything else. So you're always there as like a second dad, if you want to say that, to look after them and, and care about them and nurture them in many, many ways, not just about bodies going up and down a pool. And uh, also recognizing that there are differences in terms of, um, you know, some people are very process focused and some people are outcome focused, some need to talk about other things in their life they don't want to swimming um, rammed down the throats yeah. 24 hours a day and highly they don't want the highly technical stuff they, they, they want another approach so you need to recognise what's right for the person and the development of that person at that time within the development framework from age group through into senior and again going back to what we talked about before I feel that for me I felt very comfortable with this with this age group um, and hopefully with the, I think that's that was the success of the program really um, 
you know, would say things like, oh, well, you, you know, 18 panel, 19 years, oh, well, well so-and-so's got a boyfriend. Well, <laughs> you know, well, they shouldn't be having a boyfriend. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're 19, 20 years old. Of course they can have a boyfriend. You know, things yeah. like that. So you, you need to just be aware of that and just lighten up a little bit. And I think that's one of the things about showing your athletes that you actually enjoy working with them on a daily basis every day you enjoy being the coach you enjoy being there it, it's your passion it's your life it, you know it so they they know that it's not a chore for you oh, you would go again <laughs> so it's, it, which yeah. then helps the uh, the vibrancy of the session the vision the culture that you create within the team um yeah i mean i think that's and, and that's what's worked pretty well here cool interesting so just to um <clears throat> Just kind of the last, last real serious question we've got on the on, on the schedule here. Were there any points in your career where where things didn't go didn't go how you want? Have you got any regrets over certain points in your career, or do you look back on those kind of things that didn't go to plan fondly now, knowing that they in turn made you evaluate and, and become a better coach? I, th- I think again it's. You know that phrase hindsight's a, a, a great thing but um when i was a very young coach I, i'm not saying that i coached how i was coached not at all like that because i didn't do much work anyway <laughs> i was just fast pointing me in the right direction and it wasn't very technical either but um i i think looking back way way back i would say that I, with my limited knowledge as a young coach at that time I probably did a disservice to some people especially the sprint guys because I probably worked them too hard yeah they did too much when I thought they needed to get in there and crank out these meters and if you didn't do I'm reading all these stories about these people do all these meters and they do all of this kind of business and reality is it, it doesn't happen they're just stories you know some people do for sure but not everybody needs to be doing that and I probably put that one you know that one size fits all on the stamp now you might say oh, well you know if you're dealing with a i don't know five lane pool full of lots of age group kids then pretty much they all do the same thing and they you do sets like that whereas so i would have been more specific in the kind of work that i was doing with them yeah. at that time i think that would be one of the areas that i wish i had the knowledge now <laughs> there yeah. than i have now <laughs> And, but obviously that doesn't happen. You only gain that by experience and can be a bit more relaxed of what's going on. Um, and to be honest though, Jamie, I think for me, it, I don't really have any lows as such. Obviously you have disappointments and frustrations and oh, I wish, oh, why didn't that happen for that kid? You know? But for myself, I pretty much got up every day and enjoyed myself and That's I still can't believe I've done it as a job. You know? yeah. <laughs> It's it, it's unbelievable, really. You know, like obviously I come from the northeast and things like that. And uh, my granny and people say, "Oh yeah, you know, what you do is you get a job on the ships and the Tyne, and you become a fitter of a welder. When are you going to get a proper job somewhere? Well, this is it. What is it? A swimming business? No, that's not a proper job. Um, but I think it, it is evolving. It is coming up with new ideas and it is moving things on because that also, you know, if you if you don't. If you stand still, you get run down by the next train. It is keeping ahead of the game and it's enjoying what you're doing, appreciating your successes, but trying to, to move it on and getting out and about 
which I say to a lot of the younger coaches, go and see what goes on. Don't just listen to people at conferences because I'll come up with all sorts of stuff. Go actually see and spend a few days with them and see what goes on in that program and look at where best practice is taking place. And uh, again, I you know, was lucky in a sense, but I would go out and about and see people. So I'm thinking, even back in the early 80s, late 70s, I'd like, where's the great swimming going on? Oh, on the east coast of the US, Florida, right. Got a flight, got a car, and then just traveled at the different swim programs on my own, just stayed over, went to see in Fort Lauderdale, went to Gainesville, to, to see Randy Reese at University of Florida, spent a week there. And then even 2004, when I was here, like at um, Athens Olympics, I saw the men's 4 by 100 South African freestyle relay absolutely kill everybody in the pool, unbelievably fast. And I'm thinking, oh my word, because obviously I'm starting to gravitate towards sprint, yeah. sprint uh, things at, at that time. I said, oh, I wonder what, what kind of work those guys do. And as it turned out, they were based at the University of Arizona with Frank Bush. So, oh, so I contacted them, oh, can I come up and spend a week with you? So I get a pay, I pay for myself, get a plane, get a car, get a hotel, and spend a week at the University of Arizona watching what these guys do and then coming back with some different ideas and running them by the sports scientist here and saying, can you explain this to me because I'm a little bit confused about this piece of work? And uh, then we would incorporate that into our program, different changes. And at the beginning of each cycle with the swimmers, I would give them a sheet of how I see the cycle panning out, yeah. like the training cycle's gonna be. Um, and then I would say, oh, your last cycle, we did this, this, this maybe we did too much of this maybe we need to incorporate some of this and I want to put this in this year we'll see how it goes see if it works if not we'll we'll not do that you know so you're always evolving you're always evaluating re-evaluating of what you're doing and honestly looking at it and saying mm, not doing the same every cycle bringing little changes in and thinking of new ways people say to me oh have you got any drills for this well drills are, it's only something like you're you're coming up with something that's addressing some an area for improvement yeah. so you can do whatever you want as long as you think that that's something that might improve that or some different things and somebody like Ben Titley his ability to think outside the box and very quickly is incredible and uh, he you know he he would then bring it, I know people do like cross training now, but he would have a Russian ballet teacher coming in here and doing ballet classes with Liam Tancock and things like that. <laughs> it was not a pretty sight. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he would do things like that, rock climbing. And this is going years back. And I know people do that now for like um, coordination and everything else. But that, it was just those kind of um, areas that we were looking at and bringing different things in all the time, really. Um, so, but I would say that you know, for the guys that have a clear vision of where your program's trying to go, where you're trying to go as a coach, full on commitment. I mean, I, for me, I'm 100% fully, fully committed. Nothing gets in the way of those people and where they need to go and my coaching and the program and what's best for this program and uh, full on with that and be consistent. So I'm like yeah. this, as soon as my eyes open in the morning. There's not drowsy time, I don't have drowsy time. I'm either awake or asleep, that's it. I'm like this every day, all I've, day. I've I don't have stories. Yeah, 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 stories. Yeah, don't repeat them. 
dancing on a block at five yeah, o'clock in the morning. Exactly, so exactly. <laughs> and again, pursue those visions. Think relentlessly. You've got to keep keep your foot on the gas. Do not sit back on it. That's for me. Those kind of principles. And um, again, just enjoy being a coach because it's a fantastic, fantastic job to be to be to be having. Is that is that enjoyment for you? The reason you've retired a couple of times and come back a couple of times now. <laughs> Don't use that word. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because because I actually didn't actually I haven't re- retired as such because <laughs> I've moved to different jobs. But yeah, yeah, you know. So like 2012, I was like myself and Ben. We've been here a long time. So I said, should I really be getting up at four in the morning <laughs> and finishing at eight o'clock at night and driving the minibus from Glasgow at two in the morning when I'd been to a meet all weekend? Or should I be doing something different now? And thinking, oh yeah. So then I, I got a chance to be the technical director for swimming in the Cayman Islands. So it was a full-time job. It wasn't a retirement. <laughs> like you. So off I went to the Cayman Islands, lived the life. It was fantastic, men, some fantastic people, and everything else. But it just wasn't enough for me. I didn't press my buttons because it was going from the performance environment to uh, well, it was an off-deck role to start with, which is I'm not, you know, I'm not the grip. Off-deck's not my thing really. I, I'm getting used to it now, but so then I came back to Loughborough, so I was back on again, four in the morning up, eight o'clock finish, driving the minibus till 2016. But during that period of time, I also started to do some other bits and pieces of work, consultancy work. So after 2016, I then stopped being the, on the coaching, full-time coaching staff here and pursued other other areas. So. I hadn't retired, <laughs> so I was still doing other things in swimming because I can't stop club uh, coach mentoring, club development, all that kind of business. And now I'm back here doing recruitment, admissions, some coach mentoring, cover sessions for the guys here, Coach Andy Manley, Ian, Mel, Dave, you know, doing that kind of thing, doing some, as you said, with the ISL, doing some stuff with Ben Titley out in Canada and Toronto, stuff like that. So. And now I quite appreciate the flexibility that I've got yeah, to do that kind of thing. I was doing some things for Joe and Amy that you just saw there at the weekend with a little kids camp. And I do some stuff for the business school on leadership and performance environments with their um, bespoke M- MBAs and MSCs for, for uh, I'm actually doing a talk next week to to- guys from Toyota, senior managers from Toyota. Not that I'm the world's expert, but you know, <laughs> so we, we, do, we do our best. So, so don't say retirement. <laughs> Just been reading. It's not happening. Just I'll fall in the pool one day. Just fish me out. <laughs> I was reading um, Eddie, Eddie Reese's book over Christmas, and at the well, end, well, they are. Don't ask Eddie Reese that question either. Is that uh, or John Abadchek? He was saying for eighty odd. His wife said, "Why stop working when you've never worked a day?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to. I used to think with the business guys. Have you ever paid paid silly money in your life? I said, "Yeah, I've been paid silly money every day." <laughs> Get him, just don't tell the boss. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, yeah. So it, it isn't. It isn't like work. It's like my hobby. Yes, it's just getting paid for my hobby. So fantastic. So, <laughs> so, so to finish off, um, if you were speaking to to a room packed pack full of coaches now, and they all wanted to have uh, a long, successful career, what would be what would be your kind of three three key tips for them? to kind of engage with and, and, and to follow as they go through their career? I would say, love what you do. Enjoy every mo- every moment of it. Yeah. Okay. 
and have a vi- if you want to move your career on, have a, have a vision for the future for your career. Uh, be planned and have pre- prepare and be planned for that, uh, as you would your preparation, your planning for your athletes and everything else, and uh, fully commit, fully commit to the, to that goal that you're looking at for yourself or this for the team, and uh, just enjoy, enjoy what you're doing, you know. That old thing of Bill, you say, love what you do, do what you love, and give more, and give more than's expected. Give more than's expected. Go over and above the the service that you're offering to the people, and be enthusiastic, passionate. You know, I say to people, do you like doing this job? Do you like these kids? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, you look miserable on the deck. <laughs> you're not smiling. You know. Now, okay, it's easy for me to bowl in because of my personality, but. It's like that. Looks like they're carrying so much tension. It's unbelievable. It's like, oh, you look angry. You know, you look angry with the group. Engage with the group. Bring them, bring them on with you. And also, um, you know, going on from that and away from the three points, I guess. But obviously, go for your professional development and your courses and everything else. But I think. To take things in context and don't be afraid to to move outside the box. As again, I remember, you know, if you, if you turn the clock back, and I talked to you about the land conditioning program that was way ahead of anybody else was doing. And I remember Coach Ben Titley went to do his coaching certificate and failed land conditioning, <laughs> but because it's like a driving test because he's not doing it yeah. according to, so he got referred on that. I said, well, you can't do that. It's it's world leading land conditioning. You know? Oh well, it's not on the textbook. Well, no, because nobody's written it yet. You know, so yeah. the, so there's that sort of thing. Be innovative. Don't be frightened to bring things in and uh, and again, just lighten up. It's not that complicated. Getting people to swim up and down a tank of water as fast as possible. You know, we make it more complicated than it is. Yeah. Bottom line is, if if the coach believes it, the kids believe it, it'll generally work. And lots of weird things work, but you know. That's uh, that's the beauty of it. You never know which is the right route, which way. And for me, not I get there's no more pleasure than when somebody does something and I think, how did they do that? How did that happen? Well, you know, you see the kids that have been sick for a while or they've been injured or whatever. Then all of a sudden they get in and go best time. It's like, well, well how? Because we like yeah. to think it's us that creates all these things. Like, <laughs> How did, they, how did they do that? Yeah. How did you th- Looking back for your logbook to find yeah. out, <laughs> yeah. to find out yeah. what, what's happened. Yeah. So, um, so thank you, Ian. Thank you for for chatting to us. Thank you for, for giving us an insight into into the years of success you've had here at Loughborough. Um, I know we've certainly appreciated it. I'm sure there's there's plenty in the episode for for listeners to learn from. Um, we hope you never retire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. Don't use that word. <laughs> and. Um, and yeah, all the best for the future. Ah, thanks a lot. Be and, good. Uh, to the listeners, if you enjoyed the episode, like, subscribe, spread it with other coaches. It's really important we um, we share. Coaching is as much about sharing um, as it is about developing developing an athlete. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on all kind of social medias. Uh, I googled the podcast the other day, and we're on websites. I never knew we were on, so we're easily accessible. Um, so just just keep sharing and and keep coaching and enjoy what you do as Ian say.